to see you guys, and what a privilege to be here this weekend. And, you know, you can really tell a lot about a church uh, once you spend some time with the pastor. And I have to say, our ride here from uh, the airport down in Phoenix told me much about uh, not only Calvary Chapel Surprise, but the men who gather here every year. Because the truth is, he spent the whole ride up here almost talking about how awesome you guys are and how excited he is to be here with you this weekend. And it only stirred up my excitement even more. Now, obviously, we know that the Lord has told us when it's time to look up and our redemption is nigh. And we know that during that season of history, the attacks are going to rise. And I think anybody that understands battle, the quicker you can take out the head, the quicker you can destroy your adversary, whoever it may be. Now, the devil has been after the head of the church since before there was a church. He tried to get Jesus through Pharaoh and killing all the male children under two years of age because he understood back in the garden that there was a supernaturally conceived male child that was prophesied as the remedy for the fall of man. He then came after the Messiah once again after he had been born through Herod when Herod did the same thing as Pharaoh and tried to execute Jesus through killing all the male children who were born about the time that Jesus' birth was indicated through the star that the wise men had told him about. Well, since he wasn't able to get the Messiah at birth, he tried to get him on the cross, but the grave had no right to Jesus. And early in the morning on the first day of the week, up from the grave he arose because he was our sinless, perfect savior. And therefore he had not earned the wages of sin. Ever since then, he's been after the Jews. He's been trying to destroy the Jews because if he can destroy the Jews, he can invalidate God's word and all the promises made to the nation of Israel. He has been trying to corrupt the church through replacement theology and dominion theology and kingdom now theology. But the fact is God is not done with the nation of Israel and he keeps his promises and he keeps his word. And that means he'll keep his promises to you and I. So the devil failed at killing the Messiah as an infant. He kill, failed at killing the Messiah on the cross because Jesus rose from the grave. He has failed and he will continue to fail trying to destroy the Jews. So you know who he's after now? The head of the home, men. But I'll tell you one thing, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. Amen. We are going to talk about David for the whole day tomorrow and look at three of the Psalms that he penned. And then Sunday morning, we're going to look at another man who knew how to walk like a man. And that is Joshua, one of the most famous passages from the book that bears his name. But this evening, we're going to look at a familiar passage for marriage retreats, but we're gonna break it down a little bit further to its core. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter five, reading from verses 22 to 31. A few years ago, I saw a Newsweek magazine that the cover story was titled and the cover read in big, bold red letters, Man Up. And I thought, I gotta read that. I gotta see what Man Up is all about. And the article in Newsweek is actually the antithesis of what we're going to talk about concerning men tonight, because it talks about the extinction of the role of men. The theme of the article and the main point and paragraph was this. Now listen closely, men, are you here? Listen closely, men, to what this Newsweek article said about men. Submitting to traditional male roles is holding men back in the modern era. 
And the time is now for men to be boldly moving into a more evolved, maybe even, get this, maybe even more womanish version of manhood. Uh, I don't think so. That's not man up, that's man down. (laughs) And listen this evening. If we're going to walk like a man, we're going to need to know what a real man is. And our text is going to help us along the way tonight. And men, what our homes and what our churches and what our country needs is men who will man up. Men who will live up to what God has ordained as standards for his men, the traditional role and plan of God. And listen, becoming more womanish is not God's plan. And you know, society keeps asking us to get in touch with our feminine side. I got, a, got in touch with my feminine side via text right before I came up here and said, be praying, I'm about to speak. My feminine side is 5'7", and she's a blonde beauty, and that's the only feminine thing about me, is the woman God has given me. You know, I am constantly reminded of the male-female differences, as we're going to be reminded in our text tonight. It happens every time that I go to the mall with my wife. And some of you are thinking, you go to the mall with your wife? Yes, I do. And when we go to the mall together, inevitably, and I cannot tell you how many times another woman has approached my wife and said, oh, I love your shoes. Or I like that outfit you're wearing. Your hair is beautiful. I love what you put together. And they have a moment together and she replies and says something kind to this lady who has blessed her with such wonderful compliments. And she highlights something about them. And both women walk away feeling good about themselves. Now men, If some dude walks up on me and says, you're looking mighty good today, I'm going to say, back up, Barbie. I don't march in that parade. (laughs) We are different. Amen? We are different by God's design. And the section of scripture we're going to look at tonight pertains to marriage, but at its core, what it's highlighting is the differences from creation between men and women. So instead of tearing down the role of man, our mission tonight is to build up the man to the role that God has ordained for him. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Now, the principle stated here is obviously directly applied to a father. However, the word children is a Hebrew word that also can be translated as those under one sphere of influence. So in other words, this applies to all of us tonight. And we'll make some points along the way as we study Ephesians 5.22. So guys, you ready to man up? Yes. Well, okay, there's one. I got one. Do I have two? You ready to man up? All right, let's do it. Ephesians 5.22 through 33. Read along. I'm reading from the New King Jimmy, if you're reading that same translation. Wives, here's the favorite verse of all men. Wives, submit to your husbands. No comments? I thought there'd be a cheer or something. (laughs) We'll explain it in a minute. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, 
that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we now ask your aid in dissecting your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And God, would you remind us of who you said we are in Christ Jesus and the role that we are to play as men, not just as the head of the home, but those who have a sphere of influence around us. We ask your aid once again in Jesus' name and all God's warriors said, amen. amen. Now, when seeking to understand the male-female differences, we have to go all the way back to when there was but one man and one woman on the earth. In Genesis 3:16 and 17, to the woman the Lord said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it. How long? All the days of your life. Now, our verses in Ephesians confirm the continuance of what God initiated and ordained as the roles of men and women in every age throughout history, even the day in which we live now, calling men and women to submit to the roles that he has given them. Now, please note, the fall did not create the roles of men and women, for Adam's sin, in essence, was failing to be the head of his home. He listened to the deception that his wife had fallen prey to, and he followed her in it. Now, this tells us that we need to man up in areas of life, and believe me, it's true for all of us. I'll be married 40 years this October 1st, and I'm still learning how to be a husband. I'm still learning how I can improve in loving my wife like Christ loved the church. And if you've been married longer than that, so are you, so meh. Now listen, guys, here's the first truth. I want you to jot this down if you're a note taker. Every man, say every man. Every man by nature is born to lead. Every man by nature is born to lead. Now listen guys, just as the reproductive roles in men and women are biologically and physiologically predetermined, so are our roles genetically predetermined for your role and mine as a leader. How do we know? The husband is the head of the wife. That's how he enters into the marital relationship in that condition. Just as, or meaning in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Was Jesus born as the Christ or did he later become the Christ? He entered the world as Christ, the Savior of the world, did he not? Did at some point in his lifetime he receive the messianic anointing and suddenly become Christ, or did he enter into the world as the savior of the world? So, indeed, his act upon the cross and in the tomb and up 
in the first, uh, on the first day of the week was what he was ordained to do. It's what he brought in to the world when he came. Now, Paul said in Philippians 2, 5 to 7, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Listen, we don't need to think it robbery that we are the head of the home. This is the ordained role that God has given to us. This is what we are to walk in. God has created us for the purpose of leadership. I'm gonna wait here until you say something. God has created us for leadership. Oh man, that's like way weak. God has created us for leadership. Amen. Amen. Now there's some men out there. Listen, Jesus entered into the world and this life as the one who would be the head of the church. And let me remind you that we too were born as leaders. And for you not to be a leader is the equivalent of saying that men and women are physiologically and genetically equal. And that's simply not true. And just like being a virtuous wife doesn't mean that only wives can be virtuous, neither does being a husband mean that only after marriage can you become a leader. Women bring virtue into marriage. Men bring leadership into marriage. And that means unmarried men are born leaders too. Let me hear some unmarried amens out there. So with Christ as our example, the Lord says to all men, be like Christ as it pertains to being a man or walking like a man. Now, I think it's a fact that most men have someone that they admire, certain male attributes that they admire, not in some type of sensual way, but in a competitive way. We're pretty competitive as guys, right? Men have heroes, or at least those whom they desire. Now listen guys, I like football. I like football a lot. I like football a whole lot. But my favorite players are the ones who I call the quiet killers. I like the linebackers and the defensive ends who can put the QB down and just get up and walk quietly away. My favorite running backs are the ones who run directly over people's faces (laughs) and then help them up. Those are the guys that I like. It's in us, and we admire those who quietly excel at their position. Is this not a fitting description of our Savior? Did he not quietly excel at his position? Did he not, when he was before, uh, like a lamb before the shears is silent, when he was being abused for our sake and executed for our sins, that he was silent? Because the fact of the matter is, if Jesus would have spoken when when he was being beaten, the only thing he could have said would have condemned us as guilty. He didn't deserve one stripe on his back, did he? But he manned up and he took them all for somebody else. And this is how the Lord says we're to love our brides. It's in us, guys. I saw it even in my own grandson when he was six years old. He's 13 now. But as a young boy, at six years old, my daughter-in-law said to him, Tanner, why don't you do things the first time I ask you to? And his answer was, a warrior has no master. He's six. It's in him to be that warrior, to be that leader. First Peter 5, 1-4 says, The elders who are among you I exhort, 
I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Do you see the connection of shepherds and leaders and that we are to shepherd in the same way that the chief shepherd did? As I said, men like heroes, men like those who have traits that others want to man up to, whether it's a sports star or some financial tycoon, a fitness guru, men have men that they view as models for examples to strive for. And guys, there's only one model for you and there's only one model for me and his name is Jesus. And he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every man is a born leader. And Christ stepped into his role at birth, so too have we. And as Jesus manned up when it came for him, time for him to face the cross, we have to man up and take up our cross and follow him as well. And that translates into this. Here's the second thing I'd like you to jot down, you note takers out there. Listen, guys, here we go, up close and personal. A godly man's identity is in Christ not his career or personal accomplishments. A godly man's identity is in Christ, not his career or personal accomplishments. Now listen, guys, there's nothing wrong with working hard. As a matter of fact, the Proverbs say it's a wise man who leaves an inheritance to his children's children. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with trying to provide better and more for your family or seeking out a job where you can do more things that would be a blessing to your household and even to your grandchildren. But listen, the job is not who you are. The job is just what you do. It is not your identity. Some of you guys may know of a quarterback who uh, worked around these areas for a while, a guy named Kurt Warner. I like Kurt. Man, Kurt could hurl that ball, couldn't he? And Kurt said, being a man of God, he said, a football player isn't what I am. A football player is what I do. A Christian is what I am. A Christian was his identity. And Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love how Paul and John referred to themselves in such an affectionate manner. Paul says, Christ loved me. He gave himself for me. John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Men, God loves you, Amen. And Jesus is the demonstrated proof of that great love. And therefore, our response to him is to crucify self. We've been crucified in Christ and no longer us who live or even living for ourselves, but living for him. And men, if you're living for your career and accomplishments and personal accomplishments or goals and not for Christ, it's time to man up. As Pastor Chuck used to say, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. God is to be in his kingdom, is to be our top priority, amen? amen? And be a lawyer, but be a Christ follower first. Be a salesman, work in a warehouse, but be a Christ follower first. Be a truck driver, but be a, that's all the hints I'm gonna give you. Be a truck driver, but be a Christ follower first, because the fact is, this life accomplishments will mean nothing when we arrive in heaven. And only what we've done for God's name and glory is going to be rewarded. And get this, even though providing for our families is a command of God, it's what we do for his glory that is going to be remembered forever and rewarded as well. 
Man, if you're gonna have a role model, make it Jesus. Model your life and your life plans and steps after him. Let's take up our cross of sacrifice and submission to our Savior above anything else we do. And if anyone is going to lead the church out from under the influence of humanism today that is encroached upon the body of Christ, it's going to be the men in the church. It's going to be men manning up and walking in their roles that is like it done to Christ being the head of the church, whether they're a single man or a married man. Men who put God first. Men of whom it is said, I see Jesus in everything that they do. Wouldn't you like to be, or to have that as your testimony? Everything this guy does is about the Lord. Everything that he does is about glorifying God. He works harder than everybody else, but not for himself, for God's glory. He's the first one at work and the last one to leave, and he gives all credit to God. Wouldn't you like that to be your reputation, that people see Jesus in you? That's what was said of the apostles. They've, they'd been with Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. Listen, there's no man like the God man. And he is to be our identity. He is our role model. Now guys, I like the movie Tombstone. Anybody else like Tombstone? Man, that's a good movie. I love it when Wyatt Earp says to Johnny Tyler, you gonna skin that smoke wagon or stand there and bleed? Man, I like that. I like it when Doc Holliday says to Johnny Ringo, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> you know what a huckleberry is? It's a pallbearer. You get it? You see what he's saying to Johnny Ringo? I'm going to take you out, son. Man, I like that. It makes testosterone come out of my pores. <laughs> I like that kind of talk. I like bone-crushing hits in football. I don't like seeing people get hurt, but I like seeing somebody get clocked and get up and walk away. I love the ear-pounding noise on the NASCAR track and the horsepower represented there. Curly's my favorite stooge. He's yours too, right? Now listen, here's the point. You don't have to turn in your man card to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, real men do follow Jesus. And if there is ever anyone born that we want to be like, it's Jesus. There's no man like the God man. He's tough and he's gentle. He told phonies what they were all about and he told sinners how to be saved. People wanted to kill him and he could take a hit and protected those that he loved. He manned up. Jesus is the ultimate man's man. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. As we mentioned earlier, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. Listen, Jesus told it like it was, but he didn't talk trash. He spoke the truth and he spoke it in love. He was always about his father's business. John 8, 29 says, I always and only do that which pleases the father. And since Christian means Christ-like, should we not live in that same manner? Should we always and only do that which pleases the Father? Now listen, guys, we're talking about high standards here, but we're also talking about being representatives of the King of kings and Lord of lords, ambassadors for Christ. Shouldn't our standards be high? Shouldn't our expectations of self be high? Shouldn't we expect to improve and excel in ways that we represent the King in this life all the days of our life? Listen, the way Jesus lived, that's the kind of man I want to be. I want to be like Jesus, and I believe you do too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Amen, okay. <laughs> Take a second look at 26 and 27 once again. Paul says that he might sanctify 
and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, does this not imply that a man who can wash others with the word must be a man of the word himself? And of course it does. And this, in this age of things like sexting and friends with benefits, which are the byproducts basically of the pornography invasion, listen men, tune in here. Listen to this. A man's respect for women reflects a man's respect for God. A man's respect for women reflects a man's respect for God. Now guys, there is no such thing as a Christian player. There is no such thing. Christians, there are some things that Christians just aren't, and we're going to talk about that in the morning. Let me ask you about our role model, our hero, the one we model our lives after. Was Jesus known for scamming on the ladies? No, of course not. Was he a respecter of women? Yes, he was. And a man who loves Jesus is going to be a man with respect for women because of their respect for God. And Mark 15, 40 to 41 says, there were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, him being Jesus, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Many women were involved in Jesus' ministry. He did not belittle them. He did not treat them as they were to be seen and not heard. Remember Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in John 4? A woman who was steeped in sexual sin. She had five husbands and she was now living with a man and Jesus was telling her that he's the Messiah and he has a better plan for her life. And at this point, John 4, 27 says, the disciples came and they marveled that he did what? He talked with a woman. They couldn't believe that Jesus was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Listen, Jesus wasn't about degrading women, nor did he fall prey to praying like the rabbis of his day who prayed every morning, Lord, thank you that I was not born a Gentile or a woman. And Jesus saw women as wonderful. He saw them obviously as part of the creation of God, called to serve their king as such a comparable helpmeet to the husband should they be married, those worthy of respect as they submitted to him. Now in John 8, 3 and 7, the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in his midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what did you say? And they said this testing Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him, violating the law of Moses. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now let me just take a little pause for a commercial break and do a little doctrinal housekeeping. There's a lot of things that are speculated about this, what Jesus wrote in the sand. Some say he was writing their sins. Some say that he was writing the 10 commandments and we really don't know. And where the Bible is silent, we should be silent. However, what we do know within the text is that the Pharisees and scribes brought up the law. And the law said when someone was caught in the act of adultery, the man and the woman had to be present. And he who caught them in the act of adultery had to be the one who cast the first stone. That's what the Levitical law said. 
So when Jesus said to them, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, he was saying, you're in sin right now because none of you caught them. And the oldest to the youngest caught on to what he was saying and they left in that specific order. Jesus said, you're sinning right now. And therefore you casting a stone would be a sin. Jesus didn't let her off the hook for her sin. What did he say to her? He said, go your way and do what? Keep on sinning. No, he said, go your way and sin no more. And listen, just looking at this, any woman who says the Bible is sexist has never read the Bible. They probably got the idea from watching and listening to some Christian men. And any man who thinks women are just sexual objects and not precious rubies in the eyes of God doesn't understand women either. And men, listen tonight. A true gentleman is a gentleman when no one's looking. They're a gentleman all the time. Now, it's highly likely, at least in my mind, that there are some men in this room who are letting a mouse push him around. I mean, a computer mouse. I have no doubt that there are men here who are letting a remote control control them. Or sheets of paper with pictures and a cover cause them to disrespect and degrade women who have compromise their role as modest and moral before God. Let's man up from that. That's not something that's to be a part of our lives. Be like Jesus, a man who respected women and had a far more elevated view of them than many men even do today through belittling them, through pornography and as sexual objects and talking to them as though they are beneath men. A man who wants sex from another woman or even a picture of her when God has said sexual thoughts and actions are only for the one you are married to does not have God on the throne of his life and he's yet to man up in this area of sexual respect. And listen, sexual drive is just as natural as getting out of bed and breathing for men. But a godly man has taken up the cross of protecting the purity and sanctity of women, not only in their eyes, but in the eyes of others. Some years ago, my son, when he... Uh, just reminded me, uh, my son was a linebacker on his high school football team and his girlfriend was a cheerleader. And one day, for some reason, I don't know why, when I turned 16, I was at the DMV getting my license. But my son was 17 and he still didn't have his license, didn't have a whole lot of interest in it, maybe because his girlfriend had a car, I don't know. But I went to pick him up one day from school and I saw him in his letterman's jacket and his girlfriend in their cheerleading uniform, walking towards the car, and I said, he's done. That's going to be his wife. And sure enough, at 19, they got married. But when they were dating, I had rules for him. I wanted to protect her. And he broke one of the rules. And I told him that when you come in front of the house and are saying goodbye and she's dropping you off, you have the car door open and one foot on the ground so the neighbors don't think something's going on in that car that isn't going on. Her reputation, her purity is in your hands. And he said, Dad, you don't trust me. And I said, no, I don't trust any young man and any young woman in a compromising situation. It's too easy to fall. So don't put yourself in that situation. Besides the fact, you can't let the neighbors think ill of her. They need to think she is a woman of purity because of how you treat her. And this is true for the whole of our lives. We need to live with respect for a woman, even as the head of the home, we need to respect our wives, even as she respects the role of her husbands. As Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 7, you guys still here? Yeah. 
Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And Peter adds this, that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, treating women poorly, whether it's privately poorly or publicly poorly, damages your spiritual life. Your prayer life is hindered. So we man up. And we have to understand, as Peter describes women as the weaker vessels, not only does that speak of their physical abilities and capabilities and muscular structure and all those things, but they're weaker in other areas as well. And some women fall for players because they have a weakness for Rico Suave. <laughs> have you ever seen a woman that you're thinking, what are you doing with that idiot? Has anybody else ever thought that? Oh, it's only me, yeah. Leave me hanging up here, guys. <laughs> But sometimes that happens for various reasons. And therefore, we need to be the protector and the respecter of all women. And it begins with who we are privately. It begins with who we are when no one can find out, when no one can see. We are to be a respecter of women that our prayers may not be hindered. Somebody say, amen. amen. Now, another glance at verse 31, and we'll pick up another observation here. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. This is God's miracle math. For us, one and one is two. For God, one and one is one. Now, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. That means when a man enters into a marriage, a new home is started, and a new woman is now the woman in the man's life. And a man, like what Christ did for the church, gives up all for his bride. Now, that doesn't mean that a man breaks ties with his family and friends and never sees them again. That's not what's being said there. But it establishes an expected depth of commitment to one woman for the rest of his life. And Paul follows this by saying, this is exactly what Christ has done for the church. In Philippians 2, 8 through 11, we're told, in being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, here's the point, men. Humility is a powerful male attribute that separates God's men from the world's men. Humility is an attribute that is exclusive in the sense presented in scripture to the men of God. Now what this tells us is this. Here's the deal, guys. Listen, here's the next thing I want you to jot down. In order to man up, you must first bow down. In order to man up, you must first bow down. Jesus humbled himself and by that, he was exalted above every other name. And a man who humbles himself before God is going to be a man who is looked up to by others. Wives will look up to them. Children will look up to them. Co-workers will look up to them. Even some inmates will look up to them. This kind of man is one who is not like everyone else. He's a man who can carry a cross, and no matter where he is, no matter what his situation, he is someone to be looked up to. 
And in Matthew 16, to 27, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, who knows the next word? Satan. Satan. You are an offense to me for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will what? Lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, then he will reward each according to his works. This is an amazing interaction between the God-man and a human. Peter steps up and tells the Lord what to do. And the Lord responds and says, Peter, if you want a man up, you better bow down. And this is the thing for you and I, man. Society has no clue what it means to be a man. After all, last year's woman of the year was a man, according to Time Magazine. Bruce Genderbender, many of you uh, know of him from time past. And listen, I don't care how much lipstick he puts on or what kind of dress he wears or whatever else he does to his body. His DNA says, boy. Amen. 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 Now, our world today idolizes people who are moral derelicts. And they follow people just because they can put a ball in a hoop, kick it into a goal, or carry it across a goal line. But our idol is one who carried a cross. He's the real man, and we have to bow to him in order to man up. So here's the question for all of us tonight. Are you a man of spiritual surrender or a man of worldly pride? Are you a man who proves a love for God by imitating Jesus' treatment of women? And a man, when asked about what he does, the first thing he should say is, I'm a Christ follower, not what he does for a living, but who he is while living. And after all, men, every single one of you is a born leader, just like the God-man. You can shun it, you can ignore it, but you can't change it. The only thing you can do is lead in the wrong direction. But as a born leader, we, like Jesus, will be most effective by submitting to the will of another. In Luke 22, 41 to 42, when he, Jesus, was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, who can finish it? Not my will, but yours be done. Personalize that, man. That needs to be our prayer every single day. And when Jesus became a man, he submitted himself to the will of the Father, though he was God himself. And listen, he did this in order to protect others from eternal damnation. And this is the same thing that is to be reflected in our lives and in our homes and our circles of influence. We are to be such men. Listen, he put saving you and I even above the brutality and beating of the cross. And as the Bible tells us, he despised the shame. The creator of the universe hung naked and open for passerbys to see who mocked him and wagged their heads at him and said hateful things to him, the one who came to save them. 
Yet he went through all that for the joy that was set before him, which was the saving of our souls and our reconciliation to God. He even allowed the massive abuse of his own body for the sake of other people. There was just no other way. So he manned up and he did what he had to do. And he did it like no man has ever done it before. And just to use a colloquialism of our day, Jesus is the man. Amen? He's the man. He's the God man. He's the role man, the role model for every man who wants to please God. Guys, we don't need to become more womanish in this devolving culture. We need to become more like Christ. That's the only way things are going to change. And listen, as I said at the beginning, it doesn't matter how long you've been at this. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Your target should be, when you get up in the morning, to be a better Christian than you were yesterday. And if you're a husband, to be a better husband than you were yesterday. Because the fact is, the one who has modeled these things for us is absolutely perfect. And we're not. Amen. Amen. And we're not. In other words, it's time to man up. And listen, here's the awesome thing. When we man up through bowing down, we can do like he did and go out and change the world. That's what God has for you. That's what God has for me. Who's in? Amen. Bow your heads with me, guys. Father, again, we are so grateful for your word and framing things out for us so we can better understand how to take our divinely assigned role and attributes and walk like a man throughout life. And even as we'll see through David and his writings tomorrow, God, you have wonderful plans for us, even in the midst of the struggles of life, the trials of life, and the failures of life. We can still man up and walk as Christ did. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to get away this weekend and focus on you. And guys, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me just ask you in this moment, maybe something rang a bell with you here tonight. I know maybe some of you got zinged about the looking at things you ought not to and not manning up in that area and being disrespectful to women via looking at magazines. Or maybe there's even somebody here who's got an inappropriate conversation going on with a woman they're not married to. You need to man up by knocking that down. And maybe some of you are the one getting pushed around by a computer mouse, or maybe you're the one being controlled by a remote control and watching things when nobody's looking that are inappropriate on your television screen or your computer monitor. Listen, it's time to man up. Jesus is coming soon. And I know that many of you who may fall under that banner, who may fall into one of those categories and love Jesus, don't want to be in a moment and a twinkling of an eye being found doing something totally stupid or against God at that moment when he catches away his church. We need to finish well. We need to finish strong. We need to walk in purity as we see the day approaching and walk in the holiness that the blood of Christ has purchased for us. Not only that we can walk in holiness positionally, but we can live in holiness practically. We're bigger than the things of this world, men. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I like to put it like this, greater is he who is in you than he who's after you. And you can indeed withstand all that the enemy is trying to throw out in front of you to get you to stumble. Whether you're a single man, a married man, whether you're a career man or retired, 
The devil wants your hide nailed to his wall and you have the power to man up and say no to him. But you must first bow down to the will of God and say my heart and mind. And I always find this to be fascinating. Job as a grandfather said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a young woman to lust after her. That tells you, you know, we're going to fight a battle for the whole of our days and the devil is going to keep using what works. He's not going to back off. So you're going to have to man up. So whatever that may translate for you, something that resonated with you here tonight, if you want to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to me or this message, but if you want to say to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, I'm manning up right here, right now, over things that have been taking me down. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand to the Lord and say, I'm standing for you, Jesus. I'm manning up right here today. Lift your hand up if that's you here this evening. God bless all of you. You can put your hand down. Father, I thank you for these brave men. I thank you for those courageous enough to say things haven't been as they should, but I want them to be. And Lord, those who have now bowed down to you in submission to your will, which is perfect for them and all of us, that because of this humble step, God, that they would rise from that which has been hindering them. And for the rest of their days on earth, Lord, should you take them individually or should you take them collectively in the group plan with everybody else, that they would walk like a man by walking like Jesus the rest of their days in whatever this area of life the uplifted hand meant. Thank you that you are the one who gives us the victory. And all we have to do is accept it and walk in it and live in it. The power is already in us. And we thank you for that which we have learned and encountered tonight. We give you all honor and glory for what you have done. In Jesus' name, and all the mighty men of God said, Amen. Amen. Listen, Psalm 1 tomorrow morning if you want to read ahead. Thank you, guys.